Amazing. Our reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and we'll be reading from verse 12 through 19. Then the next day, the great uh, crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had uh, had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he uh, called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Reese. Hello, everyone. As Reese said, I'm Emily. It's lovely to be with you here this afternoon on Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, Yeah, I had a little whoop there. Whoop for Palm Sunday. Now, I wonder whether you've ever had moments throughout your life where things haven't gone how you expected them to. Or more specifically, can you, can you think of a person who didn't turn out quite how you thought they would or they didn't quite act in a way that you expected them to? I remember my first real major moment of disappointment in this area of life. I was in year two at primary school. It started early, I'm afraid. Um, We were playing it on the playground. For our American friends out there, that's tag or chase, Um, but a good classic game of it. Being played on the playground at school when I had to stop all of a sudden because I found a cute little baby snail on the floor. Um, Yeah, yes, the baby snails. (laughs) Um, And I picked up this snail, and with excitement, I skipped over to Billy, my then boyfriend at the time. Also started young in that way as well. And I showed Billy my snail, looking to to share some sweet moments of us bonding over our new pet snail together. At which point, Billy took the snail out of my hands, threw it on the floor and crushed it under his black Velcro school shoes. Also crushing my hopes and dreams of a future together. (laughs) So horrified by his clear and outrageous disrespect for God's creation, I dumped him then and there on the spot, which to this day I maintain is the right decision to have made. And uh, fun fact, Billy would later go on to be punched in the face by my next boyfriend a year later because he was trying to win me back, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) But the hardest part about that whole thing that happened that I found difficult is that it just left me feeling so confused. I had so many questions and felt so disappointed because Billy didn't act in the way I was hoping he would. His character was very different to what I assumed it would be in the first place. It didn't all add up to me. And that's exactly the same kind of questioning, confusion, and dare I say it, disappointment the disciples had when it came to Jesus, not because he was a vicious snail killer, but because he was a donkey king. Just to make that clear, I said donkey king and not donkey con, Kong, the, the Super Mario brother. Jesus was the donkey king, and that was a major disappointment. What could I possibly be chatting about here? Well, let's 
jump into the story and pull this apart together. To give a bit of context, many of you will know this anyway, but this story is a Palm Sunday story and it takes place at the start of Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead and because of that, as you can imagine, a bit of a crowd has gathered um, and are now following him to Jerusalem. And at this point, many Jews were coming to faith. Um, Jesus had done lots of miracles, attracting lots of people to himself. But on the sa- at the same time, the religious leaders were really peeved about it all. And they were now advancing their plans to try and kill Jesus. The tension was rife. Jesus had been performing miracle after miracle. And if he hadn't been doing that, he'd been preaching some very controversial messages about him being the son of God, about him being the one who's able to forgive sins, about being the new law of Moses. Pretty much anything he could say to really get under the skin of the religious leaders. And they hated the fact that he was stirring the pot, disrupting their perfectly controlled status quo and gaining a huge following. Everything was coming to a head. This was it. This was the time for the great and mighty warrior that Jews for generations had been praying for and waiting on to enter in. They were hoping for the awesome Davidic king, the Messiah, the one who was going to ride in on his great white stallion and slay the Romans and see the Israelites set free. Surely it was now on his arrival to Jerusalem that Jesus would step into the boots he was ordained to wear and come and rescue his people by overthrowing the Romans. The man who up until this point had healed leopards, lepers, had given the blind back their sight, had miraculously fed 5,000 people, walked on actual water, stopped the raging storms and raised his friend from the dead. It had to be him. The disciples had already confessed it. They'd already told Jesus that they believed he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And to them, he was. But in this moment, he wasn't, but he was, but he just wasn't the king they were expecting him to be. There was no white stallion and overthrowing. There was a donkey. There was so much confusion. This was it. This was Jesus' big red carpet moment. His big reveal was king. Imagine next month on Saturday, the 6th of May, gathering in the streets of London, tuning in to the BBC, waiting for hours as presenters Babylon to fill in the time with anything I could think of, to build the anticipation. Various famous people arriving, people in uniforms marching and chanting, flags waving, red carpets being rolled out, and then King Charles rocking up in a dressing gown and no jewelry in an Uber that he drove himself to his own coronation. What a scandal, (laughs) what an unbefitting moment. It would be so confusing and so disappointing because it wouldn't be what we were all hoping for. It wouldn't feel royal, it wouldn't feel powerful, it wouldn't feel king-like. It would be a bit of a letdown, to be honest. And yet, it's exactly what our true king did for us. It's what's going on here in the story. The passage tells us Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. It wasn't even some award-winning donkey, the most mature, well-groomed donkey that was owned by the most important people. It was just a young donkey that he found. Or as the other Gospels accounts tell us, just a donkey that was tied up, that he sent the disciples to go and fetch for him. It was a donkey never ridden before. That was it. Three 
years of following Jesus everywhere he went, living on little, sacrificing a lot for the disciples to watch their leader ride in on a donkey. (laughs) What a confusing moment. Because he was on a donkey, but he was still being hailed as king. So we're told in the passage that people were chanting Hosanna, which was an expression that meant save. People were literally chanting, save. They were looking to Jesus to be the one to save them. They shouted over him, blessed is the king of Israel, as they laid down their palm branches and their coats to make their very own red carpet for Jesus. As he walked by, they welcomed their king into the holy land. So for the disciples, in one way it was all there, He was being hailed as king, but on the other hand, he was on a donkey. Just on a donkey, no weapons, no war, no overthrowing, just humility and simplicity. And so what really stood out to me about our passage today was verse 16, where it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, died and rose again, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him? None of this made sense to the disciples in the moment. It left the disciples with questions and confusion. And you know what? We're not exempt from this either. We have our own questions and confusion. And we're about to enter one of the most confusing weeks in Christian history. If we thought Palm Sunday was a bit confusing, then we ain't seen nothing yet because none of it adds up, none of it seems fair, none of it was what he deserved, but yet he did it for us, the people who deserved it the least. And I'm not sure I'm ever gonna be able to get my head around the fact that that is the nature of the God we live for. He's a donkey king. And in that confusion and questioning and trying to wrap our heads around the ridiculous, ridiculous humility and graciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can learn and hold on to two simple but key things from our story. Firstly, he was the king carried. He was the king carried. Whether you're discovering who Jesus is for the first time or you've known him and loved him for many, many years, we can't ignore and forget the fact that he was the king carried. He didn't come riding in in obvious power and dominion. He was carried on a donkey. And just a few days later, he was the king arrested and carried away to the high priest and then to Pilate. And as his own people traded him for a criminal, for Barabbas, he was the king carried by his cross, bleeding and wounded and nailed to it. Given up his spirit for us, he was then the king carried by the women who loved him to his tomb. Their precious Jesus, our precious Jesus, limp and lifeless, seemingly unable to save himself because he was too busy saving all of us. He was the king carried by his own creation to his death because we've been so convinced that we can carry ourselves, that we don't need a God, that we don't need a savior. But fortunately for us, he loves us too much to let us fall to our own demise and he longs for relationship and eternity with us. And so he's also the king carried by angels to the right hand of the father, hallelujah. 
the king who defeated darkness and who won eternity for us, who made it possible for us to be forgiven and loved forever, the king who one day soon, hopefully, please thought come, the king who one day soon really will ride in on his white horse with his bow and his crown, as it tells us in Revelation, putting an end to evil altogether and inviting us into eternal glory with him. You see, what the disciples couldn't see at the time is that he had to be the donkey king. He had to be betrayed. He had to be tortured and crucified for the sake of his people. Yes, because he needed to fulfill the prophecies that were written about him that we see in our passage. But more so than that, he had to do it because it's who he is and because it's how much he loves us. He's the humble king. The one who makes himself lowly so that others can be lifted high. The one who knew he had to die for us so he did it. So that he could fully defeat darkness so that we wouldn't have to die. So that we wouldn't have to be separated from him forever. He made sure he was the king carried. So that he could then be the king who carries us in his heart and in his wounds. He surrendered himself to all the humiliation and agony and punishment so that he could have you, so that he could have me and not just as his servants, so that he could have us as his friends, his followers, his children, his eternal bride. We have to keep our eyes fixed on the fact that he was the king carried. And you know what? Some days I find that really uncomfortable. Just thinking about the cross and thinking about the fact that Jesus died so that I could be made clean, even though he was already perfect and I didn't deserve it, that makes me really uncomfortable. It makes me uneasy and it makes me sad. Whenever we sing the worship song, When I Survey, and we sing the line, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed, mingled down, It just makes me weep every time because there's something about remembering that mangled, shredded, helpless, wounded state of Jesus suffocating on a cross that genuinely is quite traumatizing to think about. Yes, thankfully, now we get to see it all through the lens of his resurrection three days later, but that doesn't change what he went through for us. That doesn't change the brutality and sheer gruesomeness of what was inflicted upon him for us. But this is what it means for us to live cross-shaped lives. It means we're people who are affected by the cross, whose lives will never be the same again because we understand what it meant for the king to be carried, for the king to go to the cross in our place instead of us and endure all that he did so that we could be set free. And when we're affected by the cross, when we understand that he lowered himself to being the king carried for us, then our eyes can be opened to the second thing that we can learn from our passage today. Perhaps a revelation that the disciples got when they finally understood that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies written about him. What we can learn is that we need to carry the king. He was the king carried and now we need to carry the king. We get the honour and privilege of being donkey people to the donkey king. Now he has entrusted us to be the ones to carry him far and wide to every nation, tribe and tongue. You see, even though the disciples were confused, as the passages said, they didn't understand it all, that didn't cause them to walk away. 
They kept following the king and we can too. We can accompany the king as we carry him out everywhere we go while still wrestling with our questions and confusion. And what we learn from this story is that the disciples had questions and they got their answers later. But in between, they kept believing, following and having faith in their king, even though they denied him sometimes. I don't think Peter ever stopped really believing in Jesus. He just succumbed to cowardliness and didn't want to be arrested or shunned by society. But they had faith. They got their answers on the other side of the cross. We don't get our answers until we're the right side of the cross. That's where we gain perspective. That's where we understand all that Jesus went through for us and all that Jesus accomplished for us. And it's from that place we then let the king enter our hearts, change our lives, and then take on our role as donkey people and carry him out to every place and everyone we encounter. And if you're sat there thinking, but I'm just a donkey, And you can rejoice in the fact that God says, that'll do. Jesus chose the donkey, not the great war horse. We are enough for him. If we just bring ourselves, he will do the rest. And you know what? Carrying Jesus can make you feel like a real donkey sometimes. I've had my my fair share of uh, embarrassing moments and failure moments when it comes to carrying Jesus wherever I go. More than I feel I've had some fruitful moments. Um, for example, this is probably my biggest failure. It was about six summers ago. <laughs> I was at a Christian festival. I was super on fire. I felt really challenged that I needed to be more bold in my faith and share Jesus wherever I go. And so I, I prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit, what am I meant to do with this, Lord? And this is what I felt God say to me. Emily, this coming Tuesday on, 20, on the 29th of August 2017 at 4 p.m. there will be a woman called Emma in your local MS carrying chicken. And <laughs> you need to tell her that I see her, I know her, and I love her. And I'm not kidding you about this. I've still got the note in my phone from the day. This is what I felt the Lord said. And I felt so pumped in that moment. I was like, this is it. This is the moment where carrying Jesus becomes normal to me, um, where it will just happen to me all the time. I'll be one of those like, slightly wacky but really cool evangelists that have all the awesome stories. And that excitement stayed with me until I got closer to Tuesday. And then Tuesday came and Tuesday was passing by and so was my excitement. <laughs> and I started to question whether I'd really heard God. Was I just going crazy? Uh, was I one of those not kind of good bonkers Christians? <laughs> but I just couldn't shake the feeling that I'd never know if I never tried, so I was just going to go for it anyway. What's the worst that could happen? So I went to MS about 3.45 to start prayer walking around the space. Um, but it wasn't a particular big, particularly big MS, so it became apparent to me very quickly that I just looked quite questionable to the staff there. <laughs> and so I needed to make it look a bit more like I was shopping. I was finding it quite hard to do both at once. And after a bit of pep talk to myself and a bit, a bit more prayer, I decided to go on a hunt for my Emma. And um, I started wandering the aisles looking for women carrying chicken. Um, <laughs> and I didn't see anyone for a while. And then I saw a few women buying some chicken. And that's when the fear really hit me. It was like I couldn't even bring hello to my lips, let alone talking to somebody about Jesus. So I wandered some more and I prayed some more. And then I had another pep talk and I was like, okay, um, you just got to rip off the band-aid. If you just talk to one, it will get easier as you go. So after subtly stalking a woman for a little while, I plucked up the courage to say, hi, 
I know this sounds really weird, um, but is your name Emma by any chance? To which she replied, no. Um, to which I felt like running away, maybe grabbing a bag of Percy Pigs on my way out to see myself later. I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. But I realized in that moment that the good news that Jesus sees her, knows her, and loves her is great news. It's not just relevant to Emma, it's relevant to her too. So I can tell her that that would be a good thing. So in a jumble, I kind of say, okay, no worries. This might sound a bit weird too, but I'm a Christian. I believe God speaks to us. And I believe that he told me someone here today would be called Emma and she'd be called Carrie and Chicken. And that he just wants her to know that he sees her and knows her and loves her. Um, but I just want to tell you that he says the same to you too. And you know what? She smiled and she seemed really touched by it. And she said, thank you. And she carried on and she moved on shopping. And that made me more determined to find my Emma. So I stopped a few more women carrying chicken and I asked them the same thing and I did the same things and none of their names were Emma and at that point I decided to throw the chicken out the window and I just stopped every woman in the shop that I could and asked them if their name's Emma and I just told them God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And you know what? I didn't find Emma that day that I know of. And I have no idea if any of those women's lives were changed and I might have made a complete muppet out of myself for no reason. But there was something about telling people that God sees them and knows them and loves them that felt like some of the best use of words I'd ever made in my entire life. And I don't do it anywhere near as much as I'd like to. I still get afraid. I still feel like an absolute donkey. I wish I had the faith and the courage that Emily six years ago seemed to have. But what doesn't change is that Jesus' news is always good and we always carry him wherever we go, whether we like it or not. When we become a follower of Jesus, it's like putting a permanent saddle on our back for us to carry him around on. He's always there. We just need to let him show, to let him shine out and speak through us and have the faith that he can and will uh, use us to advance his kingdom. And with him, we take the untrodden road. Like I mentioned earlier, the other gospel accounts of Palm Sunday tell us he was carried by a donkey that had never been ridden before. And this is because Jesus was paving a new way, embarking on a journey to do the things that nobody else had done before. And that's what's waiting for us when we embark on the journey of carrying him. It's an exciting unknown rather than a heavy load. He's not a burden to carry. And I'll be my first to put my hands up and say, sometimes I treat him like one. Like the responsibility of carrying him wherever I go and making that known is a weight and a bore and something I'd rather shrug off. But as we enter into Holy Week, as we remember and dwell on the fact that he was the king carried to us, I feel like God is extending that scarily exciting invitation once again for us to be carried, for people to be the ones who carry the king back to the world. And the real relief is that we don't have to have all the answers or be the most eloquent with words or even get things right all the time. Because the most important thing about being the donkey is the one you're carrying. Jesus is the power. It's in him and it's in the good news that the power lies. We see in verse 19, right at the end of our story, when the Pharisees basically want to give up altogether because they realise, see, we're getting nowhere, is literally what they say. The Pharisees couldn't compete with the donkey king. Jesus carries all the power. And then they basically prophesy about what's to come. 
Probably in a moment of slight exaggeration, one of them exclaims, look how the whole world has gone after him. Little did they know the whole world really would go after him. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too, because Jesus came to save the whole world and his plan A is us. Good news or bad news, whether that is to you, his plan A is us, it's his church. We're his great plan to reach the whole world. So we have to let Jesus be the power, but we also have to let him be the king. Carrying him will become a lot more straightforward and a lot more natural to us when we also accept the fact that we're not our own kings and queens. And this all starts with humility, just like Jesus modelled to us. It starts with humility. It starts with laying ourselves down and putting Jesus on the throne of our lives, choosing his agenda over our own, choosing his ways rather than our own desires. It means working on having a heart posture of reverence towards Jesus, of dwelling on what he did for us long enough that it makes us want to love him in return and not just with a little bit of us, but with our whole selves. So I wonder, I wonder whether for us, why don't we just think about where we're gonna be tomorrow or this week or even today where we could lay down our own desires or self-sufficiency or even our worries and anxieties and instead choose to carry the king wherever we go? What would it look like for you to walk into work or school or into your neighbor's house or around your home or on Zoom tomorrow carrying the king? Does it look like speaking boldly about Jesus? Does it look like inviting someone to an Easter service? Does it look like paying for someone's bus ticket or being interrupted in your busy schedule to listen to someone's difficult day? Does it look like not crushing snails and trying to find Emma with the chicken? Does it look like offering to pray for someone or just slowing down long enough that the Holy Spirit can guide you to that person who really needs you to just give them a hug and ask them how they're really doing. This Holy Week, as we spend a lot of time focusing it in on and worshipping the King carried, let's also be prayerful and bold, trusting in the Holy Spirit that we also get to go out and carry the King.